computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Cranges McBasketball. And Tim, free agency is upon us. The Lakers completely changed their team. Um, yeah, no, tweeting the other day, I was just like, what just happened? Um, lots of stuff to go over, man. We did do a spaces, uh, like kind of toward the end of that first day of free agency after we knew Alex Caruso had left and the Lakers had signed all of the Lakers or <laughs> people had already been Lakers and Dwight and Ellington and Trevor Ariza. So we had some thoughts and, uh, you know, more stuff happened, Tim. We signed Kendrick Nunn, Malik Monk, um, and I still think we're waiting on Dennis Schroeder news, obviously. Uh, we got some details back on the Russell Westbrook trade. Looks like the Lakers picked up another second round pick in 2023, which brings their total to three second round picks for that transaction alone, which I mean, three seconds for, you know, that first you gave up definitely, you know, makes you feel a little better. But Tim, before we dive into everything, I guess. Should we should we do the the goodbye to to KCP, Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell, and Alex Caruso? Yeah, let's do it. Some of these guys have been on the team for a while. Some of them came up through the G League. Like you know, these were these were guys that were around for a bit. And then there was also Trez. But <laughs> I you know I'm gonna miss them. I it's you're losing a heck of a defensive backcourt. Like like the bar was set high with hmm. Alex Caruso and KCP. This past year and two guys that, you know, are going to play, you know, diving on the ground, getting loose balls, doing everything they can. They stepped up to did the best they could this past year with guys injured, trying to really play more of a role that's not really within themselves at times just because the team needed it. And, you know, some shots go in, some shots don't go in, but I'm definitely going to miss them both. Uh, I thought they were two very good players and. I'm happy that Caruso was able to get paid pretty well. Sad to see him leave. Um, but uh, it is what it is. Kuz was the the one young guy we were able to hold on to from all of those bad years. And so he was someone that, you you know, grow that emotional attachment to. And it was it was cool to see him succeed and see him get better and, and at the same time mature and find where his game needed to be for this team and a way for him to fit in and be a positive contributor and bring what the team needed him to bring on a very different team than when he was first a Laker. So, you know, shouts to Kuz, going to miss him, but happy for him. I hope all these guys end up in good situations and are able to play. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. And then Trez, it wasn't a great situation. We had a lot of chefs in the kitchen with that center position this past year. Hopefully he ends up in a, a good scenario wherever he ends up you know playing time this next year but he can definitely contribute for a team and uh i guess Dr drummond as well left and who our, our good friend andre drummond i don't know who he that took is. A, a he took a deal with philly to go reunite with his arch nemesis joel Embiid. so i'm excited to see what that's going to look like 
Um, yeah, I've never heard that name before in my life. Um, <laughs> but I wish well, him the best. Uh, you know, random human who exists on planet Earth. Um, so other things I haven't mentioned, obviously, Carmelo Anthony, uh, the Lakers re- retaining Talon Horton Tucker on a pretty great deal, you know, considering his age, um, where he was taken, they did get the third player option year, but you know, that will most, it's most more practically, it's a two year, like what, 23 million, 24, something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll have him for a couple more years. He'll clearly be a part of this, this guard rotation, which, um, We'll get into more later. Still, I do have some concerns about the guard rotation, but clearly, you know, we talked in our spaces about how this is not going to be the defensive identity team that we've come to know. This is going to be, you know, like outsmart you ball with these veteran players and they do have young players to fill in so the gaps. That's why that second day was so huge for me with none with monk just some youthful athleticism that this team was lacking that they just got rid of with Alex Caruso, even the KCP. We know how he can play with some, you know, intensity and speed, uh, Kyle Kuzma as well. So that stuff's hard to replace. You know, Bazemore's not old. I think he still has some juice in the tank. Good defender as well, but he's right in the middle as far as age wise. I just really appreciated how this team was framing reframing their identity from defense to I think like the half court is going to look mucky for a while because you know Tim there's not going to be fantastic perfect sets they're going to learn to have to play off of each other but considering the talent levels of dude there's like four dudes on the 2018 Olympic team there's five you know another four dudes on the 2012 team with Anthony Davis and it's like these are all incredibly smart and at one time, world-class basketball players on different levels, even to Mello on your bench. So, and we'll get into the specific strengths of them, but I think some people are worried too much about losing that defensive identity and not recognizing that our identity isn't defense. Our identity is LeBron and Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and moving from a lot of guys that were paid like real money to a lot of minimum contracts you're going to have weaknesses there. You, you can't fill out like seven or eight roster holes with min guys and then just like have no weaknesses as a team. But the strengths that this team brought to the table, the strengths that Rob targeted and was able to bring in make so much more sense than they did last year to fit LeBron, AD and Russ offensively. Once we got Russ, you know, we tried last pod to discuss strengths and weaknesses and not as much like, will this work or will it not work because everything that happened this week really shaped how that could look. If the, if the team brought back the same kind of shooting that they had last year, this year with uh, Russ out there with LeBron and AD, I wouldn't feel confident. I wasn't feeling confident, but they like batted a thousand in terms of grabbing guys that can shoot, can space the floor. And that is exactly the way to set up the, a team with these star players. Um, and I really like to call out that a lot of these guys now or in the past are or were at like they were just like world class NBA, world class basketball athletes and and players. And I think we're going to see through different stretches of the season, you know, they're they're older, probably some not great play at sometimes, some great play at other times, but we're gonna see some stretches where it's like that's vintage. Mm-hmm. insert player name here that's like holy shit like carmelo anthony just did some old mellow stuff 
Um, Trevor Ariza just had a great stretch. Like these guys have it in them. They're smart. They've been there before. And it's kind of like how, you know, when, when Kobe was in his older years, like he couldn't give you that same high caliber every single day, but he could give it to you in spurts. And we have mm-hmm. enough guys that can give it to us in spurts that on aggregate, along with everything else that's that's there, I really like the chance for the team to like have guys performing at high levels at different points in time. And there's a lot of depth too. I think it weirdly there's a good number of there a good number of playable, like rotation caliber type guys in a way that like you can rest dudes throughout the regular season. Or we could see Russ, Braun, and mm-hmm. AD not play the minutes per game they played last year, just because they may not need to. So the team can approach this a lot of different ways, but the the age is both a concern and also, you know, there's some wisdom there with that age. And I'm interested to see how these guys who like we've only really seen play together on Olympic teams and all star teams play together on like one NBA team. Yeah, I think even even down to like as as good as Dwight Howard is at the minimum, you know, he's still effectively like a, a Nikola Jokic you know, insurance in the playoffs because, you know, Mark is great there too, but we really saw Dwight give Jokic a lot of problems there. You saw Philly, or excuse me, Phoenix signed JaVale McGee. I'm sure to also have another backup big, you know, that was a big problem for them mm-hmm. um, is having a, just a, enough size to deal with even like the Giannis's of the world in the small time DeAndre Aiden's not on the court. So I do think that makes sense for us. And it's, I don't think going to be, as consistent in the rotation for Dwight Howard as he was two years ago. Um, hopefully we are doing more Anthony Davis at the five and Mark Gasol gets some time there. And um, yeah, you could just kind of figure it out from there. Um, you know, get Dwight in, you know, not like he's getting DMP most nights, but on the matchups that make more sense where teams do employ like a legitimate backup five. Cause not every team does this day, these days. Uh, um, so let's move into the Caruso talk really quick here, because if you're on Twitter, I'm sure you saw all the, all of the takes and I think they're all accurate. This, we all wanted him back. Um, the Lakers didn't counter or really even, come close to Caruso's expectations in the the money side of things. We talked about it, whether or not it was, it was obviously a money thing, right? I think they like Alex Caruso. They would have wanted to bring him back. They're already like paying a $40 million tax bill right now. If they had re-signed THT and Caruso, that becomes like 60 to 80, like really quick, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously as sports fans, we don't give a shit about the owner's money, Right. We say, spend it. We want to win. This is what we care about. Like, if I had that much money, I'd spend it because, you know, I want to win. Now, the owners aren't built that way. But I'm, I'm, I guess, do you think that the Lakers valued what Caruso brought to this team over what, like, Malik Monk could for way less money? Because I'm starting to more kind of understand where the process comes from and it still doesn't feel great because he's a fan favorite, but it's making more sense as time goes on, considering the rest of the pieces around it. Yeah, they. I, I think Rob probably met with Jeannie, was able to, like he was told, here's your budget, here's what you can work with, here's what we're willing to do or not do, and that probably meant we weren't going to see that Buddy Heald trade that was close to happening, it, or if that were to have happened, 
they would have probably let Schroeder walk anyway and would have moved some of the other pieces anyway because that would have ended up uh, – the Trez and Kuz for Buddy deal would have ended up with, you know, if you bring everybody back, a pretty high luxury tax bill. So the ideas I think that we've had over the past week or so of what this team could have looked like if the team went different directions – may not be accurate because because it, it sounds like given the moves they made mm-hmm. they were going to try to get off money anyway and they did so in a way here where they were able to get that guy that they see as a star play in russell westbrook and then like you're talking about have a bunch of like almost arbitrage options where it's like you could get caruso at 10 mil a year who's really a 40 million dollar year cost with the with the luxury tax or you can go get minimum money malik monk who was just kind of buried on a roster and is more talented than the impact he was able to provide. And there's, there's some untapped potential there that like, I can see them saying like, that's the value move. And I think it is the value move uh, in, in theory with, with everything that's going on. So while I am with you, like I want the team to spend money. I want, I don't care. I don't care if they're spending a <laughs> billion dollars in luxury tax or no money. Like, come on. <laughs> like we want to win do more it. fans. Cause we want to win. Players yes. want to win. Like, that's what it's about from our side of things. And for Jeannie, her, like the wealth of the Lakers ownership for the people that are making these decisions compared to some of the other teams uh, and what the Lakers mean to the bus family compared to what other teams mean to other owners is a little bit different. Like for some mm-hmm. owners, these teams are for fun. This is a side gig. This is mm-hmm. like whether they're purposefully kind of like meddling and like micromanaging because they want to, you know, get that, you know, get that, like, I'm the owner, I'm the GM kind of experience, which doesn't always turn out well, but hey, you're rich, do what, like, you can do that. And we, as fans, don't love that. We want the owner to, you know, write the paychecks, get out of the way, hire good people, and that's it. For the bus family, like, this isn't a side gig. This isn't for fun. This is their thing. And so I I don't have a lot of sympathy for, like, I I don't care if Jeannie's, I, I would love for Jeannie to have spent more money. But I think we and a lot of other people had a blind spot to the fact that this might be coming. When we were talking about free agent and trade options, I was not anticipating that we were going to see the team let Caruso and Schroeder walk and just try to get off all this other money. Like I would have looked at sign and trade options differently that would have hard capped us because the team probably would have been fine getting hard capped um, because then they don't pay that extra money. Um, A lot of things... I know we were thinking through one way at the time. I think I would have thought through a little bit differently if I knew it was going to end this way from a money standpoint. So the Lakers just had a completely different perspective from a lot of us and fans and even people today who were or yesterday who were expecting like some sort some sort of compensation or Buddy Heald to somehow make his way to the Lakers. Like that's not happening. They're done. Like the moves are done. They have nothing really to trade at this point. They've got a couple open roster spots. They might have some buyout guys that maybe become available soon or some other men salary guys, or maybe they're going to convert some of their two-way or summer league type guys to roster spots. But we're, this is it. These are the moves. And it was, I mean, lots of minimum contracts. So I, from an asset management standpoint, hate it. <laughs> I would have loved for the team to like pay Schroeder something, pay Crusoe something, like pay him enough to keep him. And then if he's on 10 mil a year, you can trade him away during the season, even early in the season. You don't have to like trade him at the trade deadline while you're trying to make a title run. Trade him early in the season, early enough that like you still have plenty of time to figure your roster out and like get that cohesion, but late enough that it's not like a sign in trade. So you're not hard capping another team, but like get something. You could get a second round pick back for Alex Crusoe at $10 million a year. Absolutely. 100%. Mm-hmm. 
So from that standpoint, it seemed like a missed opportunity from my eyes. They didn't go that route. I hate it. <laughs> but at the end of the day, despite the money restraints, I think the front office did a great job finding guys who provide value like you're talking about for what they bring while also fitting our existing roster really, really well. Because between LeBron, AD, THT, and Russ, three of those four guys aren't reliable three-point shooters. And so you need to have a lot of three-point shooting around them. And the team did a really good job grabbing that. And I know I'm rambling a little bit, but like this is there's there's so many things that I was like, oh shit, like we weren't gonna be able to do that trade. We thought we'd be able to do. Or, or if we did trade it, we'd still see these guys walk. So I don't know. The the team just had a completely different perspective. And in the past, they've made similar decisions, the bus family has, with guys walking uh for tax reasons. And I was hoping this would be different. Jeannie said it would be different, but it's it's not different. And I think that sucks because I don't want to tell my grandkids like, oh, yeah, LeBron James, you know, greatest player ever. He played for the Lakers. But that one year we didn't win, even though we po- probably could have because, you know, we didn't want to pay that luxury tax. Like, you've got LeBron. you got to go for it. Um, so that irks me. But shouts to Rob for really making a lot of smart decisions. And I think we need to evaluate as we get into these specific guys for what they are, not what Alex Crusoe could have been or not because we're upset the team let a certain guy walk or something like that. Yeah, I think that's spot on. Just looking at this team again, we'll get into it, but I, we have to, this is why it's so great to have your B-ball index information, Tim, because, you know, you can grab, this is like, we just put a 2K roster together, you know, <laughs> jokes flying on Twitter. It, it, it really is. So it's, it, you know, as we transition out of kind of the old, like last year's team, what, what's going on? Um, I just want to talk about Schroeder really quick. Um, did you see what Mark Stein wrote in his newsletter? I did not. Oh, man, this is. Oh, my God. I mean, read this to you. The Mavs have zero interest in Schroeder. It's staggering that he turned down the $84 million offer from the Lakers. This is tough to watch. There's been so little Schroeder discussion. Tough stuff tough to watch okay so i don't know if he's like intentionally trolling him or accidentally trolling him he has to be either way i gotta say it makes me laugh (laughs) and boy oh boy tim this is not just like uh you know the lakers or you know everything they do is interesting this is one of the more crazy this guy is tanked his value in like one year span not even like eight months right Mm -hmm. since he joined the lakers and he didn't really get injured you know it's not like he tore his acl or something and i i don't think that he was ever worth what the lakers apparently offered him i looked back at like our like lebron stat to try to see like all right like given how he was playing at that time during that point of the season like two days after he turned down the extension like what would he have been worth if he played that way a whole year and it was like 12 million dollars a year so he wasn't he's all like he's always been a really good bench like six man kind of guy but he's not a 20 million dollar a year player and like there are very very few 20 million dollar a year point guards and like he's just not he's not in that group he's not close to that group um so i just the the level of Different, like the difference between what he thinks he's worth and <laughs> what he is worth it was huge at that time. And he needed to jump on that opportunity. And it's like, like, I remember being sick to my stomach for a couple weeks after I lost that Lakers Suns bet. 
like that's chump change compared to the like generational wealth this guy just lost out on. Even yeah. I mean, he's still very wealthy, but like, right. like crazy money um, that like it's, sets your family up for years and years and years. Right, right. Well, this is there's three levels to it where he turned down the twenty million dollar deal, twenty one million dollar deal, right, and then his value is lower around twelve. He's not even gonna get twelve, I don't think. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, definitely not. And so, you know. Because the Lakers can trade him away before that luxury tax sets in and, and that bill really becomes expensive, they could theoretically give him like a $10 million deal just because, hey, that's a close like money value that you need to help put pieces together for another guy that you're trying to get at the trade deadline, you know, or something yeah. like that. You know, trade Malik Monk with some youth and, and a $10 million guy and you got whatever, you know, is decent, you know, pull back. So... I don't know, man. This guy, I want to say I feel bad for him because I don't love him as a player. I don't love him as a person, to be perfectly honest. He's not bad. I still feel bad for what's happening to him. Yeah, it sucks. But he He came in entitled, so he didn't, he didn't, he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. He did. And just for a good reason, I think. And, Mm -hmm. And again, it's just like... Even when you see somebody make their bed and and have to sleep in it, it's kind of cringy to watch. So it's already what day like four of the free agent market. And I've heard nothing about Mm -hmm. where he might go. Yeah. And I guess thinking about what the Lakers could do next, I don't know if they would be willing to pay him and grab him and then try to trade him during the year. Like I was hoping they did with Caruso. If so, they'd grab him at like substantially less money than the 20 mil or 15 or 18 or whatever he wanted previously. Uh, I wonder how, I mean, that might've already been decided like in order to bring Kendrick Nunn on or in order to bring Malik Monk or some of these guys over, maybe they, you know, said, Hey, this is what your role will be. Here's what the roster is going to look like. So that certainly would have an impact on things. If he did accept this extension, I don't know where the Lakers are right now. They like they still probably didn't want to pay the tax, so they're probably trying to get off of his money, but without much for assets. So they the Rust deal maybe doesn't happen because the Wizards don't really have much interest in him. So like, if he would have accepted twenty mil, then that doesn't mean he would be worth any more today to other teams than he is currently today. So it would be a huge negative. Asset. It would be a liability, um, a huge negative asset. Uh, they dodged a bullet. So they dodged a huge bullet because I don't know what this team looks like right now if that were the situation. But I would bet Russ isn't on the team or they lose THT somehow in the process because they just don't even have picks to try to get off of guys. Um, so it's, yeah, LA dodged a huge bullet. But I, I definitely wanted to get in there that like his value was never quite that high. He dropped maybe from like 12 million to like, six million dollar value but by him going into negotiations and reaching out to teams and saying we want 20 mil or 18 mil you're like that that's a red flag up front Mm. and that is probably going to lose him more money than if he would have gone into this free agency being willing to take eight million dollars a year or something like that from a team tough stuff as mark stein says um all right tim let's take a quick break and when we come back Let's touch on some of these new guys' player profiles uh, using B-Ball Index and stuff and get a feel for different kind of positions, different kind of strengths, weaknesses they can bring. And uh, I'm sure we'll always obviously talk about this in great detail before the season, but let's just give everybody a quick taste on all these guys uh, coming up right after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. And we're back. Tim, I want to start with Kendrick Nunn. Uh, we ended up giving him a two-year, $10 million contract, I believe. Uh, basically, our mini mid-level. So talk to me about Kendrick Nunn. Something that stood out last night you were tweeting was about his performance as a catch-and-shoot shooter. Uh, 15th out of what a hundred and something qualified people with uh, over a hundred attempts. Yeah. He, he showed out really well. He didn't shoot well his rookie year, but his second year shooting was one big area that he took a huge jump. And I went and looked at some of the film on that and he made a couple like shot form changes that I think contributed to that. Uh, for example, like when he is jumping on his jump shot, his rookie year, his feet would often go in like different directions or they'd like spread out or he had this very inconsistent base. Whereas if you look at his film from this most recent year on a lot of his jumpers, his feet go, he jumps and then his feet kind of go in together and he just is consistently getting that same rhythm, that same balance in that way. Um, his jump itself, like how high he's jumping on his jump shot has gone down a little bit and at times when his pull-up jumper's off, it's because he's kind of leaning into his shots and he's jumping high rather than having a good on-balance, consistent approach. And also when you're jumping really high, that isn't great for when you're. it's later in a game and you're getting tired and then suddenly you can't jump as high. So having a less of a jump, having that consistent base with your feet doing the same thing consistently, and then having a better center of gravity, leaning back a little bit more rather than leaning forward into your shots – all three of those things add consistency, add better arc, um, and more accuracy. And we saw that translate to much higher efficiency this most recent year. 
That's great and all. Um, I really like that. That's very valuable. <laughs> this is so. a butt coming. I can hear a butt <laughs> coming to this. How does he play next to Russell Westbrook in a backcourt in a closing lineup? Because that's where this can be incredibly deadly and valuable, right? To have a guy this efficient, this, you know, good and still have a little, like I said, a little bit of that youth and, and legs. On defense, he's not great, right? It's It's okay. So... Walk me through his defense and how we can play him next to Russ, because, you know, obviously backcourt's, you know, ball handlers point of attack. You can't be just letting anybody into the lane, even if you have Anthony Davis, you know, cleaning stuff up on the back end. Yeah, yeah, you definitely want strong defenders. He is not what I would call a strong defender. Uh, He's not a bad defender. Like there are guys that the Lakers signed who are like bad, (laughs) like like F, like not good. None is from an impact standpoint. He had a similar impact defensively to what Dennis Schroeder did this past season from looking at the advanced like on off stuff, ignoring the box score. Miami's defense was better when he was on the court than when he was sitting, adjusting for his teammates, adjusting for the opponents. So that's encouraging to me from some of the film I've watched so far. He looks as though he might be better as a chaser defensively than a point of attack defender. And Russ, I know, is kind of the opposite. We want him at the point of attack. You want him engaged because when he gets in trouble defensively, it's when he's like roaming around. He's off ball. He's gambling. He's for steals. He's like slowly sagging towards the paint to try to get a rebound like way ahead of time. And this guy ends up open. We want him at the point of attack. You want none as a chaser. And so I think defensively that pairing can make sense. I expect the Lakers to close probably not with none, but with Russ and and maybe Bazemore, perhaps. Maybe something like Russ, Bazemore, Ariza, LeBron, and AD could be like a smaller, switchy group that has some physicality at the different positions. Um, But if none is out there, offensively, he shoots well enough to be off ball. And defensively, he's not too bad to the point where it's like, this is a huge, huge issue. If you can take his A-minus matchup difficulty down a couple notches and let him do more off-ball stuff, I feel a, a good bit better about his defense, and it's already not, in my eyes, so far a huge issue. And I know a lot of this is like, like I'm tweeting stuff out at like 5.04 after they signed a dude at 5.02. So like, <laughs> I haven't watched a bunch of film yet. I'm tweeting out what I can, what's available, mm-hmm. using the data. The film study is what comes next. So a couple of weeks from now, this perspective might change. And, and rightfully so. When we get new info, we should change our perspectives. But as of what I know so far from some film and a lot of data, I think he's fine. <laughs> like he's yeah. mediocre and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, to your point, he did defend shooting guards 36% of the time. Um, I think that makes sense to at least have him near Russ. See, what I was thinking was actually – I, I'm a little concerned about Ariza. I don't think he was great last year. I know we'll we'll get in. I know you say he's a value contract. It's I didn't see it too much, to be honest with you, but I want to go back and, and watch more film. Um, but I was thinking Russ Nunn, Baysmore, LeBron AD as that like a really potent offense and hopefully, you know, AD doesn't have to do too much on offense where he can really like spend his time really just focus on on helping and playing safety um when teams try to go small and stretch the floor you know but it's yeah i that's the one i was thinking baysmore none with the shooting mm-hmm. obviously russ and lebron so we'll yeah. see there's a lot of iterations they could do of stuff like this you know with monk as well um 
Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Just, just uh, yeah. Speaking of, let's let's move on to Malik Monk because there has been a lot of talk of him being a player with a lot of potential that obviously is more valuable than the minimum. Um, but the things, the concerns that have been out there, right, have been he wasn't a great shooter until kind of this last year. It was okay. And he has spurts of good defense, athleticism, effort, but it's inconsistent. And obviously he didn't really, as like a lottery pick, find the time in Charlotte that he was probably expecting as far mm-hmm. as a role and you know, just being involved as an offensive creator. So this one is hard for me to like, I am very excited about this signing. He is, you know, what 23 year old player just coming off of his rookie D you know, it's, it's a second draft guy is what I was Mm -hmm. tweeting about. And you don't just get these guys for the minimum, right? Yeah. Like a lot. Well, you do, I guess, but not like this level. I think he is still value play. I think both of both him and none are more talented than the impact they've had and are both more valuable than what we paid for them. I think it's funny we went from a Pope to a monk and a nun and all three of them have uh, interesting criminal backgrounds. Um, So I did not expect that. That's fantastic. I mean, not the criminal backgrounds, but nice pun. Yeah, the pun's funny. Um, I didn't come up with the pun. (laughs) One thing I do want to note about monk that might have an impact in how we view his play over the past couple of years. And I think may impact what could happen in the future is he uh, got in trouble with the league's, I guess the, the substance abuse policy. I think he was very interested in cocaine um, and he was suspended for a period of time. I would have to refresh my memory on how, like what the next strike is. I know it's at a certain point you like you're out, <laughs> like you're banned, but he was uh, he was suspended for a substantial period of time in the past. Apparently, he was you know good. He was able to stop abusing cocaine. He was able to uh, play clean, be clean, and I guess, or at least I've been told that impacted his his ability of play. Now I don't know if that brought him from an F to like an A three point shot maker but uh that is what i've been told so i that's an additional like skeptical lens that i'll be looking through as i'm like watching film this most recent year compared to years prior for him but he did improve in a number of ways this past season that one are encouraging but two at the same time it's like all right you didn't do this for the two or three seasons before this was it an anomaly are we looking at another dennis schroeder who just had that one really good shooting season are we looking at a kelly Oubre who had one really good shooting season after a bunch of not good shooting seasons that sort of thing is on my mind and will be something i'm actively looking to sort through as i continue watching film and learning more about him yeah i mean here's his top talent areas right perimeter shooting um obviously his corner three-point percentage he looks very tasty um he did have some good level playmaking so I don't know uh, how that can manifest on this team or if it really will. Because, again, I think a lot of these guys are going to be pretty low usage guys. And if anybody isn't, it's going to be like THT. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Who's a secondary kind of backup point, for lack of a better word. Um, But what about other stuff in Monk's game as far as fitting around Russ or LeBron? Is he going to be able to attack a closeout when guys close out to him hard? 
does he have the gravity that you you know a eight point three point shooter should? Because it looks like the gravity is just okay. Yeah, he's he's a good three point shooter. He's gonna. I mean, he was taking really tough shots this most recent year from threes. He has an F three point shot quality. That is going to change. He is one of the couple guys that I would circle in red as like this is somebody whose three point percentage should see a pretty big jump going to the Lakers. Where someone like Trevor Ariza, he's coming off of a caliber shot quality already, so I don't expect a huge jump for him. But Monk is a was a legit three point shooter this past year. He was very good in terms of like getting to the rim, excellent driving, good finishing through contact, good finishing at the rim. He took really tough shots at the rim. You mentioned his playmaking. Him and Nunn are both like decent playmakers. I don't know how much we're going to see them like running a bunch of ball screens or things like that, but they can certainly initiate offense. They can both kind of run ball screens. Both of them are good enough shooters that like defenses aren't going to be like going under or playing like deep drop coverage against them. Uh, we saw, I mean, go watch some Kendrick Nunn highlights against the Lakers last year. He was, he put up like 30 points or something like that against our drop coverage uh, in the, in the game we were playing against him. So I like what I see from a talent standpoint offensively with both of them. And I think their ability to shoot allows them to play off ball with THT or Russ really, really well. I think the fact that both of them fit with either of those two more on ball, less talented shoot like perimeter shooting players is really helpful and allows you to go either direction and mix and match lineups. So there are fewer times in a game where you're like, crap, this lineup doesn't work. So I think that's really encouraging. Uh, speaking of like perimeter shooting, finishing playmaking talent, here are the only guys last season that matched Kendrick's, Kendrick Nunn's grades in each of those three. Steph Curry, Zach Levine, Jason Tatum, Luka Doncic, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, LeBron James, Shea Gilgis Alexander, and Kawhi Leonard. So that's like a crazy list. And like he's on the lower end of that list, of course. But like there's something there. You could use stats to say anything. Hey, he's he's I mean, certainly not at the same level as a lot of these guys, but like that's pretty good company. And Monk is similar in terms of like being a pretty good shooter, pretty good playmaker, pretty good finisher. So two guys that I see is like potential breakout candidates with better shot quality doing less ball screens which is something both of them weren't great at last year but they don't need to do that with this team so i see them as both slotting in well offensively and defensively in terms of like being in better situations for them and probably a better role for monk uh with his defensive role um and i just i like the fit of both i think there's a ton of value here and when we look at uh, according to our estimations how much like on court value, they will be bringing the minute projections matter. So I don't know exactly how much to do for that. But last season, none added 7.1 mil monk added 3.7 mil. And I think both of those can be even higher if they're optimized a bit more. And the optimization of them doesn't need to come down to like running really creative X's and O's, which isn't our strength as a team. It's fitting them into like more shooter off ball kinds of roles, which will be what will happen with Russ and THT out out there in different lineups. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I'm, I'm slightly concerned about THT if he's thrust into the backup point role, um, because I, you know, think he has some growing to do in that department. And I still think there's some clear ways, you know, that he can be stopped, uh, when he has the ball in his hand, he can over dribble, he can, you know, mm-hmm. drain the clock a little bit, but he's 20 and I expect he will grow, uh, in that area. If there are injuries or THT can't do some of that stuff we're hoping he can do, 
we're falling back on two guys with Monk and Nunn that are far more capable pick and roll creators mm-hmm. and playmakers than KCP and Alex Caruso were. So if yeah. if somebody gets hurt or something, the backup option is much stronger than it was in past years, and in that way makes our guard rotation a lot more resilient than it, it has been in the past. That's good. That's good. Now it just becomes, can t- if he's going to get the shot, can he do it at least as well as those guys can? And if they can't, you know, we need to reassess and, and move forward. Um, okay. You know, I'm trying to touch a little bit on all these guys before we go. Uh, Kent Bazemore, Tim, interesting kind of profile here. Uh, ama- like he, Of course, amazing shot quality. He got great looks uh, and shot the ball really well. Uh, from three also provided great perimeter defense as uh, top talent area for him. And I think this is the piece to me that makes the Anthony Davis at the five lineup. Like he should make just about any closing lineup where Anthony Davis is at the five or e- even if Dwight or Mark are in there, I feel like Bays is one of the go-to, you know, six players on this team that I don't feel the same way about Ariza right now and i would love to be wrong but i think bays has the versatility to chase some of these guards around and take some of the weight off of uh russ which is what he did for steph right he's guarding Mm -hmm. a lot of point guards and a lot of point of attack because you know you just hide steph it's easier that way so i don't know what do you think about bays and how he fits in yeah he is a like battle-tested defender in terms of having to be versatile having to take on tough matchups because the Warriors needed to hide dude so he is he can he can do that and he can defend one through three pretty well he's six five and he's been a wing stopper and a point of attack defender the past two years and been pretty darn good in both roles so I I feel confident with him at the, the point of attack as a chaser as a wing stopper gonna watch some more film see what that technique looks like but he like you're saying is someone that I am hoping the team can rely on if they can is going to come down to if his three-point shooting last season, which mm-hmm. was a standout year for him, is able to continue because he had an A-minus three-point shot-making grade on A-quality, shot like 41% on threes, and he's going to continue getting good quality. Yeah. Can the shot-making be just like above average or as good as it was last year? If so, he's going to be a shoe in to be in some of these closing lineups just because of what he can do on the defensive end and how if you do have 80 out there at the five part of what that brings to your defense is switchability and in order to do that you want to have guys at the other positions that can switch and he is one of those dudes that that definitely can do that so i see him as being a, a great fit for our defense he's going to impress some people and offensively it's a much better situation where like we don't need him to do any degree of playmaking, his efficiency, his versatility, mm-hmm. all that stuff is not good. And he doesn't need to do any of that for the Lakers. So he, the, the ask of him on both ends, I think, will be well within his wheelhouse. And I'm hoping to see another strong season from him as a result. And it looks like, too, if, if he gets run off the line, he's pretty good at attacking the basket. Kind of, you know, shot quality at rim. Uh, is a B. His finishing at rim rating is a B. Overall finishing talent is a B minus. But, you know, somebody who can at least because I think that's a little bit of an issue with KCP. You know, when people would close out to him, they close out, but they close out short because they know, mm-hmm. you know, I can't just let this guy run around me. They, he can get stopped. And KCP doesn't want to attack the basket after a closeout either. You know, so it's just yeah. a different way you approach that that contest versus a guy who can get to the rim and finish. Bazemore is definitely looking to shoot when he's catching 
when he does attack, if he gets to the rim, he finishes pretty well. One thing I am worried about, it's not a huge deal, but it's it's going to be a little bit annoying, is uh, when he's driving, his rate of like finding his teammates well is not good. He's not a good passer or playmaker. So if you can run him off the line and then force him to like rotate over to him, take away the drive and force him to kick it out, he's going to make some bad decisions. And hopefully we limit the number of situations and he's just catching in wide open and shooting threes instead of needing to catch and attack and kick out and relocate and all of that. Um, but like you're saying, he's, he's a capable finisher when he does get around the rim. Okay. Any other things? I mean, he's got an amazing steal rate as well. Um, that, that definitely helps. Um, anything else about Bazemore? I mean, we'll definitely talk more. I want to throw. Well, we'll get to the lineup tool. Remember, we did last year. That'll be a. This will be a fun exercise this year with so many. Mm. You know, we have no idea what the lineup like baseline is. Last year, we kind of knew, like as far as like, oh yeah, like LeBron comes in at this time and plays with these guys, and you know what I mean. That's all gone. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It's I, I've already updated it. Um, I'll tweet the link out. I think I tweeted the link out yesterday. Um, and the folks in the Discord have been playing around with it. It's updated for this upcoming roster. I've already played around with it a bunch, and I think I've realized that there's a good bit of an imbalance between our guards and wings on this roster. Mm-hmm. And if AD's going to play a lot of five, and if LeBron's going to play a lot of four, you don't have, like, you're going to need Baysmore to be playing a good bit of small forward in, in those situations. Um, we also are probably going to see either Monk or Ellington squeezed from the rotation just from a minute standpoint, assuming mm-hmm. that Russ continues playing a bunch, THT is going to get his 20 minutes at least, uh, and you know LeBron, AD, obviously are going to get their time, Baysmore and Ariza are going to get some time. It seems like either Monk or Ellington is going to get squeezed for minutes, uh, or they're each going to have like six to eight minutes a game, which isn't much. So I, I would imagine the team picks one, and then they have just kind of one you know, deep bench sub that's not going to be in the rotation on any given day. And then they just kind of rotate guys in and out and and give some dudes some off days the way you wouldn't like baseball or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's another thing to keep an eye on. And because probably either Monk or Ellington is going to be out of the rotation, those are two of the more negative defenders the team added. That makes me feel better about the team's defensive abilities because you're not going to have both of those guys out there for large periods of time, certainly not together. All right, let's move on to Trevor Ariza. A, a, a big long time coming, homecoming for him. Um, his top talent areas last year were off-ball movement, uh, post-play, perimeter defense, defensive rebounding. Hmm. Um, another guy who guarded the point of attack, looks like for Miami, if I'm reading this right. Oh, okay, yeah. So looking at how often he defended different positions, he is a really wonky, like was all over the place. So he was a wing. He ended up being a wing stopper, but he defended point guards 30% of the time power forwards. Second most at 27 and a half percent of the time shooting guards, third most at 17.2% of the time centers, 14% of the time. And then small forwards, 11.3% of the time. So he was all over the place. He was super, super switchy. Uh, another guy that was really active in terms of playing passing lanes, getting steals, getting deflections. Uh, his impact on the team's ability to generate turnovers was an a minus. And his like, Distance traveled was really high last year, 83rd percentile. Um, yeah, he's he's interesting. <laughs> it was a really strange situation in Miami where he was kind of all over the place. But I see right. him probably as more of like a 
four three or three four kind of defender. I think if you're having him defend, oh, at the, if you're having him defend point guards, he's he's getting up there in age, and I don't trust his on ball speed and ability to stay in front as much as you would have ten years ago. Yeah, no, that's why I was just pointing out how weird it is. But I guess with the mm-hmm. team who has like you know Tyler Hero and the Goran Dragic, the you know point guard for most of the year. You know, you're trying to hide those guys. Yeah, and, you, and they play Ariza some zone. Can just go wherever. Yeah, that's true. And, and that's they put some zone, so that throws things off. That's true. I've got a fun. And they stat put the for wings you. up, right? At, up they front, put the wings yeah. up in that zone, so they're going to be on the ball handlers. What's he, that? His matchup date is all over the place. I was uh, pulling up. So for Kent Bazemore, his passing lane defense is an A. His pickpocket rating was an A. If you look at the exact percentiles, the only guys in the NBA that matched both of those last year were Matisse Thybul, Jimmy Butler, DeAnthony Melton, TJ McConnell, and then somehow Nerlens Noel, who every year is like playing passing lanes and picking people's pockets. But that's a, that's a, I think that's a cool short list of like showing us that this guy is very, very active as a defender and is going to generate a lot of turnover. So he's very much a defensive playmaker. Whereas like a Malik Monk's more positional defender, Ariza's in between uh, where he's not as mobile, but he is going to generate turnovers. Um, so we, I mean, we added some strong defenders to this team. Just want to point, call back and point that out as I'm over here pulling stuff up on the new B-Ball Index leaderboards tool. No, I mean, Ariza as a big wing is definitely valuable. And I, I know I kind of poo-pooed him earlier. I guess I'm... I, I'm not expecting the player. I think some other people are expecting. Yeah. Um, but this is just a guy who will go in there and grind, right? He'll do all those things, those small things you need when you have three guys with 30% usage, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and, and defensively you can trot out a lineup with like, yeah, Russ, Bazemore, Ariza, uh, LeBron AD and switch just about everything and be pretty nasty that might be a a lineup that ends the second quarter or you know what i mean finds its way into some closing minutes because if ariza's three-point shooting can be there so let's get to that next if you want to pull up his three-point stuff if his three can be there Baze's three is there that's a deadly you know combo even if lebron and ad just shoot okay and russ you know doesn't shoot the ball every time yeah, and Ariza's probably, I mean, other than Dwight, the only guy that we brought in who wasn't like an A or A minus three point shot maker this past season. And he had a good percentage, but what drove a lot of that for Ariza was really high shot quality. He was underperforming, but not by a bunch. It was like a D performance on really high shot quality, and it resulted in a decent, uh, just raw three-point percentage. Uh, over his past five years, he has an F, a D, an F, a B, and a D for his three-point shot making. So he's not someone that I like am yeah. shooing in as like solid three-point shooting, but he's coming off of a year that it was like good enough, and he was on high quality, and I, I don't expect a big jump from that from a quality standpoint but he's shown that he can give you a decent percentage because he's not like such a bad shooter that he like can't knock down open looks. His his open three point percentage is really strong. His like contested three point percentage is not very good. So I, I see him as being the right kind of three point shooter to bring in where he's not like, you know, a great, great three point shooter that's going to be on high volume, but he'll knock down the open shots. And you need to have some of those guys spread out throughout the roster. And I think he adds more defense than than shooting, but does enough at both that he's also going to find himself in a lot of lineups late in games. 
I mean, the other category that stands out to me here, Tim, is his off-ball movement. Um, I mean, what's funny is his movement speed rating is an F percent, 10th percentile. So he's moving slowly, but he's moving a lot. He's cutting. He's, you know, and I know that's a big thing in Miami is to move the defense, you know, move your players and find each other inside passing game kind of stuff. I don't think it's going to be much different for the Lakers to him sweeping the baseline, you know what I mean? Him ducking in and getting, you know, not like a seal duck, like I'm going to dunk on you, but just getting a seal kind of layup, you know, when Russ drives to the to the lane full steam ahead and some guy steps over and Ariza finds the angle and he's got a layup. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's going to be a probably a big dump off option, too, just if he's going to keep moving this way, I hope. But. Yeah. That's kind of been an issue in the Lakers offense the last few years, right? Players be damned. There's not a ton of movement. Yeah, he is a good relocator. He's a smart player. He, I mean, still getting older, but he moves around. And we see him active with cuts, active with dump offs, active off screens in, in using like pin downs, flare screens, stuff like that. Some of that's Miami and some of that's not going to translate over because the Lakers don't do as much of it, but he's capable there. And it's good to have those sorts of guys that can just be good instinctual basketball players and find the open spot in the defense. It's like it's like sometimes when you're driving to the rim and you collapse the defense, it turns into like attacking a zone defense in football where it's like just find the open spot rather than go beat your guy man to man because the defense is rotating and collapsing. Just go to where you go to where the, the that vacuum is, where that opening is, and you'll be able to find buckets. And he's done a pretty good job at that. So he's somebody of everybody we added. I think he's the one I've watched the least film on. So I definitely want to update my priors with him with that. But the data is pretty encouraging. And he looks like another value guy that the Lakers added at no money. Okay. It's now time is it time are we doing this to talk about carmelo anthony go off king he's such a bad defender (laughs) that's like (laughs) it's there's so much like him and russell westbrook are two really good examples of guys that throughout their careers have had a lot of talent and not quite had the impact and like i mean they've had all-star years mvp all that stuff between the two of them but like Melo needs to play the right role or we're gonna get really frustrated with him really quickly uh if he can play the like off ball stationary shooter stretch big something like that the keith role right the keith role if he can play the keith role He's going to shoot much better than Keefe did. He's a, a very good three-point shooter, and he's been for years. Keefe had a one outlier three-point shooter year when we brought him in midseason, the title mm-hmm. year. And before that and after that, he hasn't been a good three-point shooter. I trust Melo's shooting way, way more. I'm sure Melo— the defense I, is so much worse, too. Yeah. it's—Offensively, you need him to change his tendencies a bit. He can't be isolating more than 97% of the NBA. That's not going <laughs> to fly. However— the shooting's there that, like, I can see how this can work offensively. Defensively, it's tough to see how, like, th- there are certain guys. Like, I think you can make more of none by putting him as a chaser. I think you can unlock THT's potential as a defender by moving him at the point of attack. There are certain guys that fit within certain schemes. Carmelo Anthony was hidden on defense in a perimeter big role last year, 
and was still a very negative impact defender, having some of the lowest matchup difficulty of anybody in the league. So that is concerning to me. His impact on the team's ability to rebound has been very low on both ends for a bit. That's concerning to me. He doesn't move. If you look at like his matchup-adjusted defensive feet he travels per minute, it's lower than 99% of players in our database. It is 5,993% lower than the average player, which is crazy. Um, and and he had an uh, what F, yeah, third percentile defensive impact. He would need to be a 95th percentile offensive player to break even given how bad his defense was. And his offense last year was good. He, he, like, if he can be a role player on offense, we can be happy there, but his defense is so bad that he's still going to be a negative guy. So that's something I'm, I'm very worried about. Yeah, if he plays in crunch time, I'm going to lose my mind. I am mm. going to lose my mind. Like, Parmelo might as well have a crosshair tattoo on his back because he will get hunted. He has been hunted in the playoffs. Oh, Melo's on the court? Come up top, Melo. Let's dance. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. Me and you. I'm getting to the hoop. And then, like, Enos Kander's not helping me. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like Dwight Howard, love you. You can't jump high enough to cover Carmelo Anthony's mistakes on defense. You cannot run fast enough, Anthony Davis, mm. to be everywhere. <laughs> I hate it. It's fine. It's fine. For the minimum, it's fine. I'm not, again, it's not different from bringing back the parallel universe version of Keefe, which is what kind of as I was doing player profile for or comparisons, I put up none in Caruso and it's like offense, none <laughs> defense Caruso. Yeah. Like, okay. That was informative. That's what I think of with this shift from Mello to Keefe as well. I hope, I hope Mello is the guy on the edges of the rotation instead of a monk or a Ellington. Like I get Ellington, it's probably going to be either way, but at least he can provide that, I don't know, off like movement shooting, Yeah, which is valuable. Ellington's a legit offensive player. Like he's a bad, def- Melo and Ellington are both bad defensive players. They're both legit shooters and Ellington mm-hmm. much more so off movement, sprinting around screens. I, again, I don't know how much the Lakers are going to do with that, so we might not see the full impact there, but those are both guys that are going to be negative impact defenders and I don't expect to see a ton of time. And if we see them like starting or closing games, I'm going to be a little bit upset. Mello, like Mello was in, and you talked about him being hunted on defense. Uh, that's something I need to go calculate it for this past year. But for the year before that, he was a D in terms of like how often he was hunted. Teams are going after him. They were going after him mm-hmm. a lot. And when you look at like team shot profiles, when he was on the court versus off the court was about as bad as you can get as well. So it's, it's going to be an issue. I think that we're going to see him paired with Dwight a good bit, just so you right. have a shooter out of those two. Whereas, uh, like Gasol and AD, you have a shooter in Gasol. You play Gasol as your power forward, basically. Go stretch the floor. AD, you go be the five. Go post up or go be in the dunker spot. There's no reason to see Marcus on the dunker spot. He should never be in the dunker spot. He should be catching and shooting or catching and dribble handoffs or catch in a delay set and facilitate. He does mm-hmm. not or pick and pop. He does not need to be near the rim. And that's where that'll allow AD to go be near the rim. And he's not, you know, we don't, his, his three-point shooting hasn't been great. Mello, I see fitting really well with Dwight in that same sort of like provide enough spacing for Braun or Russ by not having two non-shooters out there at the same time. I think like Dwight and AD is going to be tough. But like if we get a Mello-Gasol lineup, 
I'm a little worried about the well, I'm a lot worried about the defense, but there's gonna be a ton of spacing out there. So the combos, those two, three, four, five man lineups will be interesting to see how they play out and how the team wants to handle it. We know Frank Vogels is a defensive guy. So if somebody's getting squeezed from the rotation, Ellington or Mello are two guys that are candidates, but the thing is there are a bunch of guards and there are not a bunch of like forwards. And for that reason, I think Mello probably has a decent floor of minutes no matter what on this team. Okay. Well, you brought it up there. <laughs> uh, Wayne Ellington, you know, been in league a while. Talk to me about like, is there a pathway for him to consistent minutes or is he already like out of the gate? The guy squeezed out as just kind of a, yeah, uh, a niche, you know, movement shooter guy that we don't really bring in that much because I feel like they tried to make Ben McLemore happen once he's signed. And they're like, I feel like they want a guy to run around, do the Kyle Korver role in Cleveland. And, you know, you know, LeBron's had guys like that before where they just they can run around screens and he can find them. I, you know, is that just to have versatility or is this going to be a major part of the everyday, you know, lineup? I think there's potential for it to be. He is like really good at what he does. Technically, he does a lot of the like things that I'd be like all the coaching teaching points that with my experience on the coaching side and like talking to coaches and learning everything I can, he does all those little things. Like he's a textbook off screen shooter in terms of like setting up his defender before he goes off the screen. Once he does go off the screen, reading where his defender is and knowing like, I'm going to curl or I'm going to come off straight or I'm going to fade or, you know, go where the defense is giving up. And then once he gets the ball, his footwork is good, his balance is good, and he's able to take these, take and make these shots in tough situations that like Crusoe's not making those, like Bazemore's not making these shots, Ariza's not making these shots, some of them, Ellington's going to be able to hit some of those crazy shots. Um, he, he's really good with like the boomerang passes where like he comes off a pin down, he starts driving and like the passer sinks off of the passer to go cut him off. He'll go pass right back to who just gave him the ball and kick it out for a three. Um, when two guys come, come to him off of a screen, he'll dump it off to the big man. So he has really, really good playmaking skills for someone in his position. He's not, you know, don't run him in a bunch of pick and rolls, but coming off of pin downs, coming off of flare screens, his scoring ability and his passing IQ work together really well to make him a complete player in those in those situations in a way that a lot of guys just aren't. They might be able to do the the shooting part from a footwork standpoint, but they don't read the defense. Or they can read the defense, can do the footwork part, but can't drive. Or they can't uh, you know make the right passes. He does all of that. He's not a great finisher, but he does all the rest of that really well. And I'm really encouraged by that. And something I want to see a lot of is him screening for LeBron in those ghost screens because last year the Lakers stunk at it. Our guys couldn't like do like, you're almost uh, doing that like drill where you're like running and then you like turn and like run backwards and you're shuffling around. They, they couldn't do that moving while turning your body, catching and shooting with the momentum in the right spot. He can do that. And he's been, if you look at like his impact among guards in his career as a pop guy, he went from like 80th to 90th to 93rd, 95th, 97th, 99th percentile. So he's constantly just been been getting better and better and honing that craft. And I love the way that fits with LeBron. So I can see a situation where he even starts and he's a great three-point shooter and he's got that off-ball gravity. He's not just standing still. 
and he's got that synergy with LeBron picking and popping or in those ghost screen actions. I can see that happening. And then off the bench, you have Baysmore, who has more defense coming into play or something like that. I don't know. I think it's a good sign if Ellington and Monk are both used off screens because if that's the case, if one of them does get squeezed from the lineup or from the rotation, when they do end up playing, it's not just going to be go stand in the corner. Because if Ellington is the guy that's end up that ends up getting squeezed, you're not going to have a little side playbook for him that the team's practicing. It's going to be when he is in the game, just like you know, fit in, plug and play, go stand in the corner. So if Monk and Nun, or I'm sorry, Monk and Ellington can both be used in similar kinds of ways, uh, I can see there being a higher impact for what they can bring with their shooting to the team. Yeah, I mean, his role is as a chaser, as a movement shooter, you know, stationary shooter defender, but his defensive LeBron is atrocious. It's really bad. Three, third percentile. <laughs> third. Just mm. three. One, two, three. It's so many it's, people he's better than. Yep. It's not good. It's going to be an issue. <laughs> It's going to be an issue. He's already in the right role. It's not like this guy's been taking on really tough matchups. Like he's just not a good defender at this point. And overall, his impact has been pretty negative the past couple of years. So he's not going to be a focal point of the offense. There's a good chance that the team isn't running him off of pin downs and flare screens to the same degree other teams have because he'll be less of a piece of the rotation. So his offensive impact is going to dip a bit and his defense is negative enough that there's it's really easy to see a path for him to not be in the rotation like two months into the season. Yeah, I would not like him to start. I mean, if he's going to be guarding Devin Booker, CJ McCollum, you know, D- uh, Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's gonna what be. What are we shoot. doing? It's, what are we doing? It's gonna. Be it's really, gotta be base. It's gotta be base. It it it's probably gonna end up that way. I'm sure we're gonna see things tried in the beginning of the season. Yeah, I love some of what he can bring offensively, but the defense is just so right. bad. It was he's right. somebody and that if, if like if he was next to like a KCP or I'm sorry if he was next to Caruso and then you had like a dominant rim protector and AD out there and a like strong defenders all around him. You can withstand it. He won't be good, but the team's defense will still be good. Um, I don't think the team's defense is strong enough all around that you can really absorb someone like him with this roster this year. Yeah. Yeah. And I get the way they might want to do like the, you know, first six minutes of the first and third quarter kind of guys like mm-hmm. the that was it, the Keith Bogans starter but in name only. But, yeah. you know, that like 12 maybe- minute guy. Yeah, that might be him. That might, we might see Marcus all doing that this year. Yeah, yeah. I, I well, think one path to Ellington playing is if Bazemore's three point shot disappears and mm-hmm. Nunn's three point shot goes back to what it was two years ago. If if some of these guys can't hit threes, his relative value increases a bit. I got to find some wood to knock on because we're Lakers fans and we're, we're jinxing ourselves already with the shooting. <laughs> It got in our own head. We've given mm. ourselves the fan yips. We're yep. like, well, we know it's going to regress because they're Lakers now. And I was like, what? <laughs> We're traumatized by shooting. Um, well, we could talk about Dwight Howard, but we've already been on for a bit. And honestly, um, I don't want to right now. So let's talk <laughs> about him another time. Okay. Uh, I think we did well, at least touching on all these guys, some of their strengths, what they were doing last year with their teams. 
I want to watch more film on some of these guys and um, we'll keep potting uh, as this team, you know, fills out the last couple spots of the roster. We got California classic games going on, Tim. Mm-hmm. You got Austin Reeves. You got, you know, Joel Ayayi and Shondi Brown. We got players that could probably be on our roster already um, playing in Sacramento. So keep an eye out for that. I will be in summer league next week, probably potting from there with y'all. So, uh, yeah, man, any, anything you want to throw out there about this free agency week before we go? Yeah. I want to point out that with the six minimum guys that the Lakers signed, I have them projected at $30.5 million of on court value, which is crazy. That is like, they, they got dudes like none was somebody I wanted them to get. He wasn't a main guy, but he was someone I wanted them to get for that mini MLA. They did that. And then they went and grabbed several guys that were true minimum players, like uh, Mello and Ellington. But then Bazemore turned down money. He was worth like he's gonna be. He was worth almost like nine mil last year. Ariza is like a five mil guy. Dwight's like an eight millish guy. Monk is about a four mil guy, but has some upside. Like they they got values on several players that like I wasn't. We didn't talk about Trevor Ariza. We didn't talk about Kent Bazemore. We didn't talk mm-hmm. about. Uh, Malik Monk because we we didn't think they'd be available so the Lakers with however they got to where they are today with you know the asset management letting Caruso walk sure to walk all that stuff where they got today they were still able to capitalize and make the most of the money that they had and the space that they have and they I feel really good about this roster I think it's going to be better than I'm pretty sure it's going to be better than last year's roster it makes more sense I see the downsides I see the the imbalance of guards and wings I see the age I see the fact that like AD has like if he misses as much as he's missed the past couple of years on average, he's going to miss like 15 games. Same thing with LeBron. Like it's an old roster. They're clean, clear, like pitfalls the team could run into. But I really love the guys they went out and got. And I see a lot of depth and, and I'm excited. But the next steps, you know, watching that summer league film, figuring out the rest of the roster and really digging into film on these dudes. We, we talked about the data. I'm going to go dig into the film in the Discord. We created a special uh, like film session channel for that. So I'm going to be we, – we got enough of the boosts so that the streaming quality is high quality. So like we couldn't go on Twitch and be like going through NBA film. They shut us down. Yeah. But we can do that in Discord. Uh, so we're going to you know go through, chop it up, like come like talk to me. We're going to look through streaming live and, and, and walk through the film. Um, I'm, I'm excited. So there was a vote. Kendrick Nunn's going to be the first guy and we're going to work our way through right. those over the next, next couple weeks. So if you want to get into that discord, DM us a five-star review of the pod, uh, and we'll, we'll get you right in there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we'll see you in the discord. Let me know when that Kendrick Nunn is th- uh, thing is, cause I want to do that. That's fun. We can, I still have my Twitch set up. You know what I mean? For mm. for casting. So we can oh, we can stream, you know, we can live react. It'll be fun. But yeah, check us out in the Discord. And until then, we'll talk to you next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, 
Access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.